You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 636. To make a fine film, you need three things. A great script, a great script, and a great script. Alfred Hitchcock. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Have you ever wanted to learn from a Hollywood blockbuster screenwriter or even an Oscar winner? Well, I wanted to put together a free three-day screenwriting video series taught by legendary screenwriters, David Goyer, from, who wrote The Dark Knight, Nia Valdouris, who wrote The Big Fat Greek Wedding, Oscar-winning Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma and Louise, and Oscar winner Paul Haggis, who wrote Casino Royale. If you want access to this free class, head over to bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash free. And guys, before we start, I want to let you know that we are having a massive Black Friday sale on ifhacademy.com. Courses that have been on there will be slashed a way that we have never slashed them before. We've never discounted our courses so much. Wanted to give back to the tribe and make it as easy as possible to get access to some of this top, top-notch education from screenwriting to filmmaking, to film producing, from how to write a script, how to build characters that sell, to what to do with your script after you sell it, how to produce a script, how to distribute your film after it's done, and so much more. All you need to do is go to ifhacademy.com. On Black Friday through Cyber Monday, our deals will be there. Well, guys, today on the show, we have screenwriter, actor, director, producer, sketch comedian, author, and playwright, Rick Nahera. Now, Rick has recently starred with films with Sidney Poitier, George Clooney, and more recently, Mario Lopez. And he began his career as a writer working on the sketch comedy classic In Living Color, where he wrote for almost 30 episodes as a staff writer. Then he went on to work with Mad TV, another legendary sketch comedy crew, and also wrote the wonderful Nothing Like the Holidays, which is an amazing Christmas film that I am a big, big fan of. Rick is a just amazing artist in general, from writing to performing. He's one of only three Latinos to ever write and star and their own play on Broadway. He's a remarkable guy, and I wanted to have him on the show to pick his brain about his creative process, and trust me, he did not disappoint. I had a ball talking to Rick. Our conversation is entertaining as well as full of knowledge bombs for you, the tribe. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Rick Nahera. I'd like to welcome to the show Rick Nahera, man. How are you doing, Rick? Good. How are you doing? As good as we can be in this crazy mixed up the world that we live in today, sir. Yeah, it is a crazy mixed up world. Yeah, there's so much going on. But, you know, different stuff. I'm sure that everyone's tired of hearing about COVID, insurrections and things like that. Let's talk about film. Absolutely. Absolutely. So first and foremost, sir, yes. how did you get into this ridiculous business? You know, it's very simple. Um, I thought of the the one thing that would just totally destroy my life and make my life really horrible. And I went, let's go for that job. And it had to be writer. 
because that is the probably one of the worst jobs you can get in Hollywood. It's just you know really horrible. Now why, sir? Now why, sir? Why? Well, I, I mean, I have to tell you. First of all, it's a lonely business, mm. so it's not like you know it's lonely. No one, you know, how many times do they go? Oh my God, there's that's the writer of that film. <laughs> Wait a minute, <laughs> you know, it's even you can name off Star Wars, and they'd go, Oh my God. Oh, wait a minute. Is, is that James Earl Jones? Oh, my God. <laughs> Enough of you. Uh, because people are, are attracted to the, to the, the man on, and our woman in the podium, you know, and that's, that's the person. I mean, we've had years of now, you know, the, the cult of the director, like Orson Welles and people like that, or, or um, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino. But say Quentin Tarantino, Orson Welles, we're also actors. They're performers. Mm -hmm. So they were hybrids. And I think that's kind of what's coming to the world now is more hybrid. I mean, yes, uh, writer, you know, I'm a proud member of the WGA. I've, you know, written a lot of things, but um, and I love my union. They're great. And my, my favorite thing is the screeners I used to get, but that we don't, they don't really send at the screeners like they used to. Not, so, not, not as much anymore. Not as yeah, much. it's like you go online to see something. I'm like, well, I don't want to be online. It's a freaking pandemic. <laughs> I don't want to be in front of a screen. Yeah, yeah. I want to go to I want to go to a theater and watch it. Theater. I want popcorn. I can't watch a movie without popcorn in my hand. Or, right. You know. So it's it's it is the it is more of what I think I am and a lot of certain performers are and, and writers and people like that. We tend to be hyphenates. Mm -hmm. And the old world of Hollywood actually was the Model T Ford world. So right. it's like the the writer does eight hour, you know, he does the eight o'clock hour family sitcom. That's the guy. And this person's the single camera guy. And that person's this. No, this is a writer, but he's really comedy. And this is this. So they approach writers that way. And since being Latino, I had to always create my own job. You know, there wasn't, you know, we, we talked earlier on the show that there isn't a lot of Latino writers. And, mm -hmm. and there's there's a reason for that. Um, but they're just we're just few we're a few and far between i was on a plane i think it was josefina lopez and one other writer and we we're going to some event and there's like three latino writers on the plane i said if this plane goes down we've lost half the writers in hollywood <laughs> and and at that time it was kind of the truth i mean no. it was like it was like we've lost half the writers if this plane goes down i mean and I and I hope I mentioned along with Josefina and the other writer. I forget sure. who it was. Um, I know, Josefina, but yeah. they would go, you know. But it was true. It was like what a tragedy, you know. And it's sad because, you know, no one wants to be the first in Hollywood. Or, or like, you know, people have called me a pioneer in some ways. You know, pioneer. Mm -hmm. I go. I've never wanted to be a pioneer. Pioneer really is a bad job <laughs> because a pioneer gets killed by the bear, gets cholera syphilis some mercury poison in a silver mine in some place what's that show what's that what's that game um oregon trail oregon trail yeah, oregon yeah. Trail. Just, yeah. just the worst things you can imagine the eagle the, the eagle takes your baby yeah you're yeah you, you have no fingers or hands you've got no personal hygiene fair it's enough fair sad. enough and you're, you're just hoping the syphilis kills you instead of a native american i mean right. that's it's just bad so i want to be the guy that shows up in the train you know with the uh you know the nice mustache and okay. show up with a train and and all that kind of world that's the kind of guy i want to be i don't want to be better yet the guy shows in a jet just right to new york even, even better you know it's great but pioneer is a bad thing to be you don't want to be a pioneer it's just the danger level of pioneer is really up there i mean i went to australia to film something 
Mm-hmm. And that place was dangerous already. I could imagine someone going to that place and being a pioneer. They have everything there will kill you. Spiders, snakes, everything, sure. the people. I mean, it's Ca- just, kangaroos box. I mean, it's crazy. Oh, kangaroos aren't even cute animals. Like I saw a kangaroo, like seven foot high, and they will gut you with their feet. Mm-hmm. You know, so you go walk up with a carrot in your mouth and want to feed it gently, you know, with a, it'll kill you. And so it's, that's to me, pioneer. So I do not want to be a Latino pioneer. Because first of all, they don't, no one cares. No one cares. So, I mean, so yeah. when you, when you started out, I mean, you started out, uh, how did you like start getting work? Because I, look, I'll tell you what, you know, I came up as a commercial director and in post-production mm-hmm. as a Latino in, in Miami. Yeah. And, you know, I started off in editing Latino, uh, you know, commercials yeah. and doing a lot of stuff for South America and things like that. But it was a little, it was hard to break through to yeah. the American market yeah. for, for, and that was, and this is the mid nineties. So things are a bit different now. In regards to acceptability, like, I mean, before Guillermo and and that and that yeah. whole crew, and, uh, it, and those guys aren't even doing what you would say, particularly Latino stories. No, they're no, they're they're not. They're, but they're still, but they're still, you know, Latino, you know, uh, you know what you call it, Latino directors and and Robert yeah. Rodriguez and and and, uh, and and you know and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was it was a different world. So I can only imagine what it was like for you as a writer coming up in the nineties. Well, first of all, they, they, they were surprised I could write in English. It was the bigger <laughs> surprise. There was like, what? You could, uh, do you understand the words? They're coming out of my mouth. mouth. Right. Uh, <laughs> it, it was very hard. You know, it's, it's, I got in this business because I believe you can be anything you want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it was drilled in my head. You can be whatever you want to be. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And, and I believed it. So I said, oh, I'll be an actor because being an actor, you can be any character you want to be. And then this business spends their entire energy telling you you can't do that. And now there's exceptions are starting to happen. I, I watch it with Shonda Rhimes, who I'm a big fan of, you know, people like that. But on the whole, from the 90s, just the 92, like when I first started out, it was, it was in 92, it was I got in Living Color. And, uh, I got that after being a, or an actor. I was I was working a lot, you know. As I got into acting, I, I did, you know, I mean, I did shows every show from Colombo to whatever, you know, uh, China Beach and all these pilots and mm-hmm. you know West Wing, and I just didn't like the roles. I finally was one day I was doing a film called Red Surf with George Clooney, and we both were leads, and he had 10, 20 auditions afterwards. I had zero. And we both were leads. And, and I said, well, why are what, he's going out at 20 shows? Why, why can't I? And they said, well, he's going out for white roles. You, you only play Latinos. So it was ingrained in agents, managers, everyone. You play Latinos. Now, which Latino can you play? And at that time, it was like, you're either going to be drug lord, which hasn't changed terribly much because look at narcos and shows like that. Mm-hmm. Or you're the, the gardener or you're, you know, whatever it is. It wasn't like... Um, you know, Dr. Sanchez, we, we need to, we, we're losing him. Dr. Sanchez, we're losing him. You know, <laughs> it was always, you know, uh, uh, you know, quick cut, you know, pan left. And Dr. Sanchez is, I'm just working here as a gardener, but right. I, part time, I am also a doctor. <laughs> now I would like to help with this situation. See, now I want to watch that. I want to watch that medical drama. Yeah. 
Dr. Sanchez, he's a gardener by day, but an ER doctor at night. I, I learned this during the war. It was great. In El Salvador, I learned to, to stitch people back up. That's, and also gardening. I'm and also, because I, I do like the gardening. It's steady work. Yeah, it calms me down. One night, ER, <laughs> daytime, gardening. I like it. And I also have a, a oh truck. God. I yeah. bring the chalk around, and I also make lunch for the people. Oh, of course, of course. Why that would not? Be great. You know, I that's, mean, that, that's, that's a funny a dimensional character. I didn't get none of that. You know, so I just, I just said, listen, I, these roles aren't. You know, they're dumb. I've, I've, I was very insulted by them. Sure. <laughs> like, no. And I was, I, I started off as a classical actor. I was an actual actor at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. I was, I was at La Jolla Playhouse. I did Time Magazine Ten Best Production Year. I was at American Conservatory Theater. All the best theaters in the nation. Mm-hmm. And the minute they found out I was Latino, it was like this. And it wasn't a secret. I was, it wasn't walking around going, uh, my name is Rick Najera. It sounded like an Arabic war cry. Najera. Mm-hmm. You know, I, nothing as exotic and obviously not Anglo-American is when I got very, you know, stuck in playing the Latino. So I said, I'm, if I want to play a stereotype, I better have written it. So I just started writing the roles and I would turn the st- stereotypes upside down. I would, I'd play a drug lord, but he was a news fanatic. You know, I talk about the news. <laughs> I was, I was watching the news last night, you know, I talk about these characters. As so Scarface who watches Scarface, CNN. He's yeah, like, right. yeah. I heard about a man, his name, he, he, he was executed in Texas by lethal injection. It's ironic. <laughs> lethal objection. He was a drug lord. So I'm thinking to myself <laughs> for his last meal, he asked for steak, French fries and a diet Coke. Why would you order a diet <laughs> your last meal? Are you worried about the calories? What are you talking about? For uh, my last, I would do that. So I would take characters and really create, you know, flip them, flip them, yeah, flip them. I'd, fl- I'd flip them out and change them around, and it was a, it was a tough fight because you're you're in a battle with Latinos themselves right. looking at you, you know, because because you're gonna every every time you're performing, Latinos looking at you going, no, he's not that good. Or I didn't like him, or for mm-hmm. a thousand reasons, mostly for invidia, you know, envy mm-hmm. of looking at someone. And so, you either people assume you're full of yourself. Like, I would get that. People assume I'm, I'm full of myself. Oh, you, you've done all these shows. You must think you're the most incredible person in the world. Mm-hmm. And I go, no, not at all. I'm, I'm the most insecure person in the world. Those shows make you insecure. Mm-hmm. Okay, Hollywood is geared to make you insecure. It's actually geared. When you walk in the door and they look at you and they say, nah, just not good looking. Or walk in the door and say, ah, you're not sexy. Hey, you know, old. It's like the words they use. No one's like vibrant, wonderful. You know, no, it's not. It's not. It's not a town that builds you up. Um, no. It's not. It's not that. Look, look, Brad Pitt and George Clooney were having problems getting oh. roles when they were young. I mean, I mean, yeah. it took it took a minute. It took, George Clooney for, it took a, a, a while before oh. he actually hit. George Clooney, I'll tell you a story. I worked with George years ago and we did that red surf together. And he invited me to his house to have to, to keep Is this pre is this pre or post uh, ER? Oh, this is this is, I believe pre ER. This okay. is like in like So he's in, uh, he's still hustling at this point. Still hustling. Still hustling. And he's hustling. And I go to his house and he has a pet pig. I remember yeah. his pet pig. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I'm like, wow, I got a pet pig. Like, yeah, so we're in his house, you know, doing tequila shots and we're talking. He has a few of his friends over. And he says, you know, we do the movie. We'll, you're the bad guy and I'm the good guy. And 
So we're going to kind of not hang out together to keep that kind of tension. I said, understandable, no problem at all. And I look at his house and I go, George, this is a great house. And he goes, oh, thank you. I go, so, so what do your parents do? <laughs> Swear to God. So what do your parents do? <laughs> so did he, he, did he, at, he pissed himself. He looks at me and he just goes, it's my house. I go, I go, well, what do you do? And he goes, I'm an actor. I go, I'm an actor, but I don't have a house like this. But, because he really, he'd done pilots and stuff like that. But, so he's making money, but he wasn't, you know. So I didn't know. And uh, I, I said, well, I'm an actor. How come I don't have a house like, the, house like this? And then he goes, you just have to ask for more money. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll ask for more money. But the truth is, it was just math. If you audition for 20 different roles, you're going to get one. And when you came to the Latino actors, there wasn't many roles. We didn't have many Latinos writing those roles. And even now, half the time when there is a Latino show, I almost assume I'll never get up because Latinos, a lot of times they don't want to hire you themselves because they're looking and going, no, I want to have this cast filled with all these white writers behind the screens and stains. And I, I, I mean, I'm talking major Latinos who have told me, no, I, I want to have some, you know, white writers around me because to them that's success Fair so that's changing but but it's it it is a very tough business and it's sad because the least thing the reason all of us go into art and you know and I, i'm sure it's the same with you too is that you want to comment and explore the world you're living in mm-hmm. and talk about it and show people look at this this is such a unique way to see that i was, I was just watching uh you know, Better Call Saul and, and uh, Breaking Bad. And I, sure. I love that writer. Yeah. And I was looking at like, what I love about his writing um, is, and in Shonda Rhimes too, what I love about the writing is they'll take it anywhere. And a lot of times when you're dealing with Latino stories, in particular, you have Anglos, you know, white Hollywood telling you what a Latino story is. Mm-hmm. There's the difference. Well, it's like they did it with black. What's a black, what's a black story? What's a gay story? What's yeah. what's any whatever whatever minority it is? I, I'll tell you what kind of story it is. Exactly, and that that is the problem, and, and so that's been the issue, and a lot. Of, that's why I became so independent. That's why I produced my own you know shows and stuff like that because I had to. So, so you so you got started with In Living Color because for people not for people who aren't aware In Living Color when it came out, I mean. Keenan was kind of like an 800 pound gorilla um, that could really do whatever he wanted, especially after the first season, because it was such a runaway hit. And if you have, if you don't know what a living color is, it was basically just, uh, you know, a Saturday night, like a sketch comedy, which mostly is Chappelle show. It was Chappelle show before the Chappelle show. Right. And it was, yeah. And before then it was like really Saturday night live was the only thing on. Yeah. Honestly, but in living color just hit the mainstream in a way that, I mean, it really hit the zeitgeist. So yeah. I could only imagine what was it like working with, you know, was, were you there when Jim was there? Jim Carrey? Oh and- yeah. No, I work with Jim till four in the morning. I mean, it, this is, this is my day. Okay. Tell me. I'm working with Jim to like four to write a sketch called, you know, the juice man, juice man sketch. It's like juice, juice, juice. Right. He's a character. Great. And about 10 o'clock I go, Hey, what if he so crazy with his juice that he thinks he can fly or something and jumps out the window? Mm-hmm. That's a horrible idea. Four in the morning, Jim. Hey, what do you think? What if the juice guy's so hyped up in the juice he thinks he can fly? He jumps out the window and dies. 
that's a great idea, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, my God. Brilliant. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You're going to go far, Jim. I ha- bark Man, my words. That was it. And I'll and say, you know, Jim's a very, you know, and it's like Jamie Foxx was hiding in my office because he was in some fight with so-and-so. And, you know, <laughs> Keenan was upset about something. And then Jennifer Lopez was walking in going, Rick, can I be an actress? Do you think I could be an actress? Right. And I told her, yes, you can. So it's like Rosie, oh, you know, Rosie, Rosie Perez. Uh, Perez and, and, you know, Rosie and I would, and Jennifer would have lunches together because we're the only Latinos there. Right. You know, the, one of my favorite times in Living Color, I wrote a sketch because they wouldn't let me act. They're like, you know, you can't act. Get you know, and I understood because most of the acting staff are the writers were actors and performers. Some of the great performers, some of the best performers were not on stage. They were actually, you know, like guys like Robert Schimmel or great mm-hmm. stand up comedians. They're like, the, these were the, the staff. I mean, uh, you know, um, the people you just it just goes on a who's who in fact i'm the least famous person in that room which is (laughs) like one time i was at an event and and jennifer lopez there my wife says say hello to jennifer say hello to jennifer i'm like ah it's been some years you probably won't remember me i don't want to go up there and get maced by her security detail and Mm -hmm. i just would like to avoid that for my ego Mm -hmm. she's not say something and i'm not gonna say anything so she's walking up and it was mark anthony and i get to meet mark anthony years later but she walks up and she recognizes me. And she runs up and gives me a hug. It was such a beautiful moment. And she goes, Rick, we've done so well, haven't we? <laughs> and, and I just looked and I was like, uh, well, I'm at the party too, but I think you've done really well. Uh, but my security detail hasn't gotten here yet. <laughs> no, my security detail is still getting the press pass and trying to get past there. My main security guy is on the floor being arrested right now. <laughs> yes, so priors. You know, yes. And this is a rented suit. This is a rented yeah, suit. Yeah, rented suit. <laughs> so a lot of times, you know, that was putting this thing together. I'm in my office. But, a lot, you know, that's really what the day was like. You just had tons of people around. It was a very exciting time, especially for people of color. I mean, just mm-hmm. amazing. And it was Fox, and Fox would let you get away with stuff, even though Fox now seems to be against people of color. Right. Their, their but at the time, well, no, at the time, they, but they they let that when Fox first showed up, as far as the network was concerned, they they had nothing to lose, so they just yeah. they just like we got married with children. Sure, the anti Cosby Show, great Simpsons. Yeah, why not? <laughs> it it was basically this kind of you had to be. It was the bad boys. Yeah, we were absolutely. not. We were the true not ready for primetime players, mm-hmm. and um, it was it was a, a, a such a unique time in Hollywood. Funny, I still have my Living Color jacket uh, that they gave me, so they give you a jacket. And I didn't know it was a hit show until I wore it one day at an airport, because remember we're there all day long and at night till four in the morning, or it's some amazing, you know, ridiculous amount because you write so many sketches and do so much work that may, none of us had a personal life. Right. You know, no one had a personal life. So I didn't, you know, you, you'd work till Friday, you'd be done about four or whatever it was. You'd go to sleep the next day. It takes you one day to get yourself together because you feel like you've just been beaten like a pinata. And then Sunday, you're, you're like, oh, I should get my laundry done. Or I should get to pay some bills or do whatever. And then, oh my God, what happened this time? I got to be there 10 in the morning to pitch. 
And one time, the pressure of pitching was so hard because you're in a, you're in a room with Robert Schimmel, the greatest writers there is, you know, Larry Wilmore, all these people that are, you know, are in the room with you. And everyone's got to get something on the air. Everything's got to, because if you don't, you pitch and they'd say, oh, I love that idea. It's great. Okay, we'll go with that idea, that idea. And they, you you're, had to work. And this wasn't nice. This wasn't, oh, we're so wonderful idea. This is great. Let's go forward with this. It was like, all right, we got till 12. <laughs> it's done. It's pretty brutal or, in those rooms, from what I hear. Or the worst part, they'd walk in and say, you got nothing. They don't want any of your pitches. You better, uh, you're going to pitch again in a few hours. Some ideas. So you'd have to come back when you've worked all amount of time on this to, to come back with a story. And if they didn't like it, for whatever reason, you just, you know, so-and-so's not going to play that well. That's not going to work. No, no. You had to come up with new ideas. So you're constantly coming up with, I had one writer, you know, well-known writer who worked on tons of shows. He gets in there and I, it was intimidating me because he walks up. He's like, yeah, I've got 100 A, I can't, A-list sketches. These are 100 A sketches that will just, you know, no one will stop these ideas. This is the best pitch. I've worked for a year coming up with ideas for this show. He's telling me this stuff. I'm like, wow, I'm intimidated. And I got my B list of sketches. I got about 200 of those. That means, you know, not for, you know, not guaranteed. You know, it's still good. My C, I got 300 of those. You know, they're good premises. Maybe they need some work. Maybe they do it to be, you know, Bs or and maybe five As. And he's like this whole math. Wow. And I, and it, Humble. And within a week. He comes in the office and goes, I got nothing, man. Nothing. <laughs> they destroyed me, man. They, they destroyed me. Nothing. And he's like thinking ideas. So, <laughs> so I would see grown men cry. Wow. Know? And I would see people needed ideas better. It was like crack. It was like crack in the 90s or 80s. It was like, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was sad. So they would go through so much material and you would have to come up with ideas. And, it, you know, and I worked on other shows later years later like mad tv or um, yeah how how is it working because mad tv was like the, the kind of almost the the sequel to in living color in some ways in, it, it in some ways it was a sequel but living color had more the stand-up comic sensibility jamie fox that stuff mad tv had the groundlings sensibility yeah more like sketch comedy from the groundlings it's a very particular groundlings is a very particular style they use a lot of wigs they use a mm -hmm. lot of different stuff they're, you know, they look at Pee Wee Herman and Will Ferrell as their saints, you know, they pray to them. And um, so they have a different style. But to me, it was kind of cultish in some ways because you had to have that school. I like the stand-up comedy schools, the Chappelle's, those guys like that, because they, in stand-up comedy, you have the comedy store, and then you've got the improv, and then you've got the Laugh Factory. But each one has their own style in schools. So it's much more varied. Uh, Groundlings was a very definite style. Then it came UCB and all these other others. And what, and what years were you at Mad TV? Gosh, I gotta think. Um, maybe like around two thousand five or something like that. Starting mm -hmm. starting around two thousand five. Yeah, I think I think I I remember. I mean, I I wrote a lot of those things. I mean, it's in my IMDb, and I I sure. read that stuff, and I'm like, what? I I didn't. So you missed you missed the time that Jilly was there, Jilly Michelle, Jill Michelle. No. Yeah. Well, well this is a Jilly. Jilly, I worked with later on. Jilly and I worked together in Latino Locks, either show that was on Broadway. Well, so Jilly, with Jilly. She's, and Jill, she's wonderful. She, she was my she was the star of my first feature. Wow, which one was that? Um, um, this is Meg. 
she and I, I, I directed her comedy special and I've, I've, I've been yeah. friends with Jill for about a decade. So I've worked yeah, with her on tons of stuff. She's wait. She's a very close friend. I really yeah. like her a lot because, because I interviewed her for my, my podcast, Nair in America, which, uh -huh. you know, I'm sure you'll, I, I don't want to siphon your million man uh, <laughs> audience. I'll put I'll put a link I'll put a link in the show notes, sir. Yeah, put a link on the show because you know, listen, guys like me don't have the the audience that you do. So, but there in America, sure. I had, had Jillian, and uh, she's just a great person. You know, I mean, yeah. she she did uh, you know I think it was Reno Nine One One. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's shows that. like that. So it's it, it the comedy school in in Hollywood is very small. We all kind of know yeah, that's one thing I've noticed <laughs> since I got here uh, almost a dozen years ago. Um, I met Julie three months in, by the way. Three months after oh, wow. I got here, I met Julie and, I, and she starred in a short film that I shot. Like I was hired to do within, within three months of getting here. It was like, and I, when I got here, I'm like, this is Hollywood. Great. This is the way it's always going to be. I'm just going to like, and that whole project turned into a shit show. And, uh, yeah. you know, but she was wonderful. We always stayed in touch. Well, that's what you can say. This is Hollywood. This is, this is Hollywood. This is Hollywood. Now this is Hollywood. Yeah. But, uh, but it's a very small town and everybody knows everybody. Um, it, it's so weird because, and the more I do these shows, like when I do this show and my, my other podcasts, um, I'll talk to a guest and I'm like, oh, I know do you know this person? Yeah, I know that person. Like, and it's just yeah. like everyone knows everybody. So if you, and this is something for the audience listening, don't, don't be an ass <laughs> because yeah. you, yeah. it will get back to you. People will talk. Oh, yeah, no, it, it, with me, it's like, you know, I go through, through mom, you know, normally for me, it's, it's, I run into more just, uh, I don't think people understand me. I don't think they, they've ever understood me. I don't mm -hmm. fit anything. You know, it's not like you go. Well, you're not in a box. I'm not in a box. I write, I direct, or act. You act, and, yeah. You know, I've done everything. I've been a VP at a network and, you know, all this stuff. Not a big network, but mm -hmm. still a network. And We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So I've seen the world very differently. And and I come up, uh, like I'm, I'm going to do a, a a uh, a web show in, in February, not a web show, a, a master class in writing in mm -hmm. February. And Great. so, so people go like, Hey, he's, he's actually teaching or doing something like that. Because I came from the school where you had to do everything. And that's very Latino. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, Oh, I know. I've never met a Latino that you, you, you go to in front of Home Depot. Can you do tile? Oh yeah, I can do tile. <laughs> can, you, can you do plumbing? Oh, sure. I got my tools. Can you do surgery? Um, surgery? Can you do surgery? surgery? Oh yeah, I, I I can do a crack open the the, the heart. I need a donor, but I I got my tools. I got you got, a, you got a donor. I got my tools. I can do this for you. <laughs> so it just that's where people have been. I it's, mean, look, I have a hat on that says hustle. I mean, there's there's there's. I mean, yeah, it's 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 I, on I, brand for me, sir. I understand. I woke up this morning going every day I'm hustling. Every, every day, every day I'm hustling. Day I'm hustling. Every, because. Like even even before, yeah. Every day I'm hustling. Got, <laughs> got, that's, that's our mantra. Every day I'm hustling. You know, because it's just it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. It is the way it is. And I I, I thought about it as my son started acting in commercials and he's doing it quite well. And he was like, Dad, I want to do commercials right now. I want to study school. And like, and part of me was like, if I worked, if I was in Tijuana, you would have a box of chicles in your hand, going chicle chicle. You'd work. That's the way our, our Latinos are. You know, it's like, 
some, you know, people go, I have children because I love them. And also it's like Latinos, like we need a crew and <laughs> so we better have some kids uh, to get that crew. We need some I don't nobody but my family. <laughs> That's hilarious. Even though I can't stand them. I still exactly. don't trust them. Now you, you, uh, you were able to make, uh, you know, an anomaly in Hollywood, which was a movie called Nothing Like the Holidays, which was a, a, a holiday Christmas movie, which I saw. And when I saw it, I mean, the cast is amazing. And it was a Latino, basically a Latino Christmas movie uh, yeah. with, a, with a real representation of what it's like. And, you know, it's always, you know, it's always weird with, with Latinos because we're, we're not just one block. We're, we're, 30 or 40 different tribes, if you will, depending, yeah. you know, I'm Cuban, Mexican, and what, you know, you know, you know, um, everything from everywhere, you know, from Chile, every, so everyone has, they're all different kinds of traditions. We all kind of have similar traditions, Yeah. but, um, so even when nothing, uh, nothing like the holidays, um, I saw, I saw myself in it, but it still wasn't a Cuban Christmas, you know, but no, it was, no. It's it's still there's certain things you relate to like like you know doing Latino logs as long as I did, mm -hmm. and you know getting that show on Broadway is the first successful Latino play on Broadway. Right. Uh, they called it a play. Right. Which to me it was more of a comedy special uh, series of monologues, but they called it a play, which put me in direct competition with all the big multi-million dollar <laughs> plays. I'm like, no, don't call me a play. Call no, me no. a special theatrical <laughs> event or something like get the Tony. Uh, like if I brought Latino logs back, I could actually get the Tony for a revival. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, a lot of times when you would do work like, you know, Latino logs or that kind of stuff, people didn't know what to label it. You know, we're hard to label, you know, nothing like the holidays, but you saw, I'll tell you where you can relate. You're Caribbean. Yeah. And Puerto Ricans are still Caribbean. Now sure. the joke is Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico would call Cubans tuves. They mm -hmm. say tuves. And, right. you go, and that means basically I used to have. So it's <laughs> like every every time you meet a Cuban in Puerto Rico, like, back, that's not an avocado. Back in Havana, the avocados would fall from a tree and uh, kill you. Kill you. You know, it'd be like everything was just hyper beautiful of what Cuba was. And of course, that's a human aspect that we're looking back. Like, I, I thought my years in high school were wonderful. And then I'm like, now, I luckily don't look back at high school and go, that was the best time of my life. <laughs> because, but there are people who do. They look no, back and they go, I was the football captain or all these I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a joke. Uh, if, I, if I may be so bold as to tell you a joke. Please. Um, Please. If, uh, what's the difference between an Argentinian and a Cuban? What? So the Argentinian thinks he knows everything, but the Cuban knows he knows everything. Yes. Is yeah. it? <laughs> the other one was like, uh, it was like, uh, Argentinian. What an Argentinian, if they can, if they sell you what they're worth, what they think they're worth. They oh my God. <laughs> you're paying millions. <laughs> but this, so but those are those kind of like subtleties when you're writing, yeah. when you're writing, yeah. you know, it's like, I remember doing commercials for Latin America and I literally had to version out yeah. 30 different VOs. Sure. Because and, if, if you, if you have a Puerto Rican VO guy in Mexico, that's not going to fly. No, you have to. It, it, so it's and that was the first time I kind of really understood like, oh, OK, <laughs> this is like that's everything is a little different. So when you're writing for this kind of audience, it's not easy. You're trying to appease no. a, a bunch of different audiences. Yeah. Well, what I would like, like what I with my writing, I've, I've worked everywhere in the United States and outside of the United States. So I worked for Mexico. I worked for Televisa down in Mexico. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I've worked a lot of places, all speaking horrible Spanish, which is to me the most amazing thing because I grew up Chicano in California. We're, we're known for getting a C in Spanish. That's like our, our deal. If, if you're Chicano, <laughs> you speak great Spanish. You're not a Chicano. <laughs> it's like, I, like got I, was on, I was on Despierta America. They were interviewing me in Spanish. I'm like, oh, it's giving me a headache. Oh, my God, I got to go through this thing. And I'm, of course, understanding and doing this. But, but a lot of words I just don't know. You know, like this, this is a quick side story. I was in, in uh, Mexico, in, in Chihuahua, Mexico, and I had a bodyguard. And he goes, this car keeps driving by me. And he goes, we have to leave. And I go, why? He goes, cigarios. And I go, oh, there's a, there's a mural around here? I'd love it. I'd love his work. Cicarios is wonderful. <laughs> so I thought he said Cicarios because no. I couldn't understand Cicarios. No. And so finally I go back to the hotel and I go, uh, where's that mural you're going to show me? He goes, what mural? I go, Cicarios. He goes, Cicarios. <laughs> He's like correcting me. And I go, oh, well, what does that mean? He goes, assassins. I go, assassins? Like, those guys driving by me were assassins? I go, how do you know? He goes, because they kidnapped me. I go, they kidnapped you? He goes, yeah. I go, well, what kind of bodyguard are you if you're getting kidnapped by the same people who are supposed to protect me from? I'm going to have to let you go. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so he goes, <laughs> he goes, I go, who normally do you bodyguard? He goes, the, the uh, chief of police of Chihuahua. Uh -huh. He's a bodyguard for the chief of police. This guy was a major guy. Yeah. He said it took him 24 narcos along with army guys to capture him. And, uh, but it's, you know, I didn't know. So when I started working, for you know mexico and, and places like that i i had to have an education because it's it, there's so much um different flavors so if i do it if i go to miami and perform and i do one of my monologues then the, the truth is if i do a monologue of, say cuba libre which is about a cuban prostitute in cuba you know mm -hmm. very you know gut-wrenching hard monologue mm -hmm. uh, to perform not by me but actor and the actress in the, in the company would do that. And I'd hear people crying in the audience mm -hmm. because it, it affected them so much. Yet when I was in doing nine, uh, monologue about 9-11 in New York on Broadway, a whole nother cry and feeling. Yeah, sure. So I can tell what cities I'm performing in. If I'm doing, if I was doing, a, say, Miss East LA on the West Coast about a, a beauty pageant girl that doesn't want to give up her crown. Mm -hmm. I would take to New York. I did as Miss Puerto Rican Pride Parade. Of so course, she would, you have to shift it a little bit. You shift it, you adjust it. And in, in Miami, I'm <laughs> doing Alien Gonzalez, and I'm saying, you know, I'm basically yelling, screw Cuba or right. screw, screw Castro. Right, right. Every Cuban is applauding me and loves me forever. Sure. You know, so you're playing to the audience. You have to, you, it's what Comedia dell'arte did. Mm -hmm. Comedia dell'arte was, you know, was a, a form of theater throughout Italy and around, I think it was, you know, the Renaissance era, era mm -hmm. around that. People would go to each town and listen for the gossip, listen to the, and they had taken. And if you look at Saturday Night Live, any of these shows now in sketch-wise, that's what they are. They're comedy the arte. They're listening to the gossip. They're putting it out there. You've got the audience going, oh, I can't believe they went there. And what comedy is, the cathartic release of ideas and expressions that you shouldn't be able to say on stage. But since you're saying it, you'll get applause and laughter. Now, you, I mean, you have, you're very unique in the sense that you, you had a Broadway show, a hit Broadway show. Excuse me, yeah. a, a, a uh, what is, it's not a show, it's not a play. It's a, 
<laughs> it's a special event. <laughs> I call it a special event. But it's yeah, a special. It was, no, it was but on Broadway. It was yeah. on Broadway, and you did. Yeah. So, how do you approach as a writer? How do you approach a Broadway show? You know, uh, uh, you approach the same way you do with all writing, which is basically it's a story. It's a big beginning, middle, and end. Mm -hmm. You know, the way I learned writing was my father. We were very poor, and he would go to see a movie, and he couldn't afford to take me, so he'd come back for the movie. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And he would explain the movie to me with such graphic detail and this happened that. And then years later, I'd see the movie and I'd be really disappointed. I was like, oh, it's boring. My dad told me. So much better. Told, so much better. He told the story and the man and what he felt. And I learned storytelling through him. And that's really what it is, is telling a story. Now, you can take a story and like say Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. like, okay, that's Yoda as a child. And then we're seeing Yoda as an adult. And then when you look at a story like Breaking Bad and you go, well, Breaking Bad, here's Saul before Breaking Bad. You know, here's his the early part of his career. Let me understand what we went through. Coming up and to Breaking Bad, yeah. Coming up. And so we're all going through stories that we just don't know the ending most of the time. And that's also true in life. It's like we could sit there and have this great you know, wonderful conversation and this, and then, and then it's like, did you hear? What do you mean? The COVID? Oh no, not Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, immediately afterwards, somehow he went outside. Yeah, a plane up, up, and a plane dropped from the sky. Plane, you know, anything. And that's the thing is we don't know the end of the story. And that, that is what life is. So as storytellers, we're making up how we think the story is, but there is no ending because the biggest lie a storyteller tells is, and this is what said, remember as a child, what we heard was, and they lived happily ever after. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a lie. Because I could, I saw O.G. Simpson one time as a kid. I remember seeing O.G. Simpson go, oh, wow, he's with this blonde woman. I'm like, I was like impressed. I think it was a, I was a, I think it was a bus boy or something. Mm -hmm. He did the Naked out. Gun movies. I mean, he yeah, arrived. To me, it was like, oh my God. Now cut two years later, he's in a white Bronco going down the freeway in a slow chase. And then stopped and, there and they lived happily ever after. Yeah, they lived happily. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't, we don't live happily ever after. So storytelling is a continual evolution of a human life mm -hmm. from before and after. And so that's why, you know, stories are so, you can take a story like um, Breaking Bad and go to the prequel or go to the sequel or go to the, it's still a story, but there, every story has a beginning, middle and end. But the end is there will be no end. It continues until somehow, I mean, you look at the, you know, the greatest books are, are stories are never ending. You know, in fact, there was a movie called The Never Ending Story. There was, there was three of them, apparently. Three of them. Well, there was thing, three of yeah. them. I only saw the first and second. I didn't even know well, there was a third. <laughs> there is, it's true of Hollywood. It's a never ending story. There's always a different way to tell the story. It's like how many, t it's like you start noticing you're older when you go, oh, that's the remake. Yeah, what? Oh, tell me about it. Are you kidding? I mean, yeah, you start looking at like how many Batmans have we like I remember when Batman eighty nine oh. showed up and it was the, the biggest event of the year. I mean, eighty nine was an amazing uh was an amazing year for movies. And now what has there been? Like fifteen Batmans oh, at this point. It's like Batman's <laughs> online. It's it's there's a guy who plays Batman with just the voice. Oh yeah. He, you know, yeah. He's, he yeah. scares his wife. You know, oh, oh I mean, Batman, I, Batman dad, bat dad, bat dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, so it's, good. It's, He's so good. There's so many versions of Batman. And then you kind of look and you go, 
there's only so many versions of stories. You know, I mean, the basic structure is beginning, middle, and end, and then you go, whose eyes are we watching the story through? Are we watching it from the father, from the son, the daughter? Who's who? I'm worth my entrance in this story. So, stories as complex as they are, really are are very simple. You know, it, we we learn them as kids. We we need that completion. We need to feel that completion. Like, yeah, we find you know, like Alfred Hitchcock when. He's doing uh, Vertigo, and the man is standing there. He's conquered, you know, um, uh, Jimmy Stewart has conquered his fear to be on top of that ledge. And you go, wow, that moment. But you know there's a story after that. He has to go down the, down, walk down the stairs, call his office, tells, he's, you know, this is what happened, explain it, fill out paperwork. Then he has to go home, got to serve himself a drink. And later on, he dies. But his son takes up the mantle of being, you know. So it is, this is what life is. We're a never ending story. And, and as, as writers and, and people are telling people a story that we recognize and we hope they recognize it too. And nothing like the holidays is, is a family story that just happens to be Latino. Right, exactly. Uh, now, now you've done a lot of acting and writing in your life. Yeah. What do you enjoy doing more? I, I like acting more for one reason. This is the difference. Here's here's the difference. Acting. I'm Mr. Nehara, ready for you on the set. Now here's writing. This is a piece of crap. What are you talking about? <laughs> I said we needed this. Don't you understand? He's not available. The guy's in rehab. You got to write it for this person. What is going on with you? He said you're talented. I mean, this is supposed to be a positive show about writing, so yes, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no. It's no. You'll be positively miserable. And, no, no, no. Look, yeah, look no, it's, it's, no, it's, 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 look, it's, I'm, I'm actually one of the more honest shows about the film industry that there's on, on, in podcasting. So I, I'm very real and raw about it. But what you just said is not wrong. No, no, it's not wrong because it, I, I remember being in, in Living Color. It was a very classic example. Um, I was wearing sweats, looking like just the worst homeless person you could imagine. Been writing for days. And I remember seeing this actor. He had an under five in the show. It, one line. And he was like, there was all these women around him. He's talking and everybody's, yeah, I've done this. I've done this. And, and me is like, I need coffee. I need coffee. <laughs> it's, what are you doing in line? I just, I need food. You know, and they were totally different being treated. And so when I would act, it's, it's just how well they treat actors. It's just such a difference. You know, a writer... Unless you're a, a major showrunner, you might be treated a certain way. But on the sure. whole, they just, you know, the, the, the writers are the guys that were getting beat up in high school. You know, they were the ones who went to Comic-Con and came back and, and told all their friends and things like that. I, I didn't fit that form of a writer. I, I tended to be much more street. I, I, I grew up with tough people and sure. you know, situations. Where, and that's one thing about being a Latino mm -hmm. is literally like. Just in Living Color, I remember Salma Hayek came to visit me one day, mm -hmm. and all the all the male writers, you know, totally lost their lost their mind. Oh, they're like, oh my god, look who's visiting you, you know. And she wasn't even famous at this point. I took her to Denny's actually, mm -hmm. and we had lunch at Denny's, and I came. This back. is pre this is pre Desperado. Well, big time pre Desperado. She had just flown into L.A. She'd been maybe three months in L.A. Oh, yeah, so someone, like you're a year, a year away. Like that's probably because oh, like, she, she was like 94, 95 when she did Desperado. Yeah, it was like 
Yeah, it was like 93, 94. So I was 92, I think it was. Sure. Oh, sure. She was fresh off the boat. Fresh off the boat. Fresh off the boat. Fresh off the boat. And here's, and ironically, I'm I'm talking to, you know, um, Jennifer Lopez. I'm like, do you want to go to lunch? No, I'm cool. Okay, I'm going to lunch. What are you going to do? I'm going to meet the, I I got this Latina called me up and she wants to meet me because I'm a Latino writer. It's how rare we were. And she, I I took her to Denny's and got her, you know, I got the Grand Slam. Obviously. I mean, you want, to treat, you want to treat Salma right. So and I got to treat her right. No, I just told her, I said, look, I have one hour and Denny's is right next door. She's like, Denny's? It's like, guess un Denny's. Guess un Denny's. You know, two dollars, biscuit, two dollars. <laughs> you know, and so I took her there and we were talking. She said, you know, you confuse me. You're a writer, you're an actor, you do everything. And I try to explain to her that she came from the world of Televisa. Right. Where you were an actor and you were a writer director and all these different things and i'm like as a latina as a latino in hollywood you have to do everything you just you do because you you always have to remain relevant you always have to be doing something and you always have to have something to say and to do that to be fresh and be relevant and to to talk you you've got to be out you've got to be out and about and i would luckily as a stand-up or as a comic when i'd go out and do stand-up comedy you're out normally but once i got married it was difficult to, to, to do that. I became a dad. I did a Showtime special called Diary of a Dad Man, which was about becoming a dad. You know, how it, it was a, a unique thing because I did not want to be a dad. You know, I've, I've told my kids that many times. <laughs> marking with them. <laughs> I did not want you. I didn't even want you here. I didn't even want you. You are a mistake. <laughs> I'll give it in Spanish. Un falta. <laughs> Un falta. But one um, night of tequila and look what came out. There you were. There you were. I don't know how that happened. I blame your mother. I blame your um, father. No, it, it was, you know, I, I tell him joking, of course, that, sure. that I did not. You know, it's, it, but men, you know, especially Latino men, we weren't necessarily taught. We were taught to work. You know, you're going to work and you probably never see your kids, but you better bring home money and you better do all these different things. That was your idea. You know, you don't see little boys playing with dolls going, someday I'm going to hold the doll like this in my hands and rock it to sleep. And no, we're not, we're not trained that way. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So for me, having spent so many years in the business and, and it was, it was, a mis- you know, it's like, I can't believe I just got married, you know, and I, and, and she got pregnant right away. Literally right away. I mean, she told me, she's like, it'll take me years to get pregnant. Of course. Like, in vidro. Most of my friends are doing in vidro. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, here, I'm Mexican. There's one thing our people do extremely well. <laughs> Pregnancy. That's- so so you, brush, you brushed your shoulder against hers and that was it. <laughs> I looked at her. You looked at her and it was done. It was it. It was like, you know, I'm, I was I gleaned, using, the force. Gleaned. You're using the force. You're using the force. I use the force. force. Like, there you, you go. Are, you are pregnant. You're pregnant at this point. Yeah. Uh, she, <laughs> so she um, got pregnant and uh, we had kids right away. We have three. So, wow. uh, and we're, you know, still married. So, you know, that's, that's in the Hollywood. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a success in Hollywood. Well, I, it was our, this is our 18th year anniversary. Wait a minute. You're, so let's let's put let's just clarify for everybody listening what a miracle it is that you're still married. You're in Hollywood, and you're a stand-up. Yeah, and and a, a stand-up and a yeah. performer and a writer. So yeah. I mean, you really are you are an anomaly, sir. 
because yes. I, I've no, I've known many a stand up in my life, and well, worked with many, and it's it, they are very interesting souls. Well, right. the thing with stand ups is I adjust this light constantly during it. I, you know, it is it's a rowdy world. There's there's mm -hmm. no no two ways about it. It's just a very rowdy drink, talk, hang out world. You know, it's like, um, and that's a, that's a unique thing. You know, that was really kind of kind of strange. I I think, but you know, women don't ever give you extra points for that. They don't go. It's amazing. You know, it's like you expected, and that's and I think it is. So yeah, we we've been married eighteen years, and being married in Hollywood is probably the, the real toughest job. Knowledge. But you, so you started off as a you started off as a stand up um, first. Right? Yeah, I, I did. Well, I started off as an actor. I was a, a, an actor. I did. You know, I mean, every cop drama. I mean, right. I Hill Street Blues. I mean, I'm going to age myself, but I was like the last year of Hill Street Blues. I was, Wasn't that shot in black and white and was like let in by, by Gunsmoke? He was next to Gunsmoke <laughs> set. I remember that. And and they were talking about a show called Gilligan's Island. They didn't do wow, 20 years later. <laughs> and uh i it was i did the spanish version gilberto's island what he was, uh, oh around. man so Jesus. Gilberto, you'll hear something what's that sound why are sharks getting close what's going on <laughs> gilberto's island uh, too, too soon too soon too soon too soon too soon yeah too it, soon. it was uh <laughs> you know i mean you it was a it was unique in hollywood that you know, it's it's actually, I mean, in a weird way, it's tragic. It's yeah, like, it is. You know, you, you go and you say, my father was in Vietnam and World War II. And how many World War II movies have I seen a Latino in? And then you go, and how many do you see in Vietnam? In Vietnam, I think the platoon has has a camera pan and of a guy with a virgin of Guadalupe, you know, statue or something. I think that was it. And they went, oh, they represents every single Latino that, that went through Vietnam. and. And, and did that, whereas my family actually did. So I saw how Hollywood never told our stories. Well, and did, that's became my, my passion was to tell our stories. Did you ever um, see the movie Hollywood Shuffle? Yeah, no, I worked with Robert Townsend. I worked at his TV show. Right, so, yeah. Ro so Robert, I mean, I, and, I, and I've said this on the show multiple times, I think he's, he doesn't get the credit he deserves because he, before, he was like, before that whole, I'm going to go do my movie on a credit card thing yeah. of the 90s and clerks and, oh. and then mariachi and, and that whole thing, he did it first. He, yeah. he, and he did it in 87, I remember, because I was working at a video store at the time. So I remember it. Yeah. Boy, very, that's one of those rare things you hear about. Yes, I, like, I, was, I was working on a video store yeah. at that time. And I no, remember- and it, He's going to bring back video. Yes, <laughs> like, and, then he, and he made that movie specifically because he was exactly what you're talking about in the Latino experience he was talking about in the Black experience. Yeah. Which was Hollywood wasn't telling him stories. They're going to tell you're, you're going to be the slave, or you're going to be the gangster, or you're going to be this. And he and there's this great skit in Hollywood Shuffle where he's he's like a Julie like a Juilliard trained <laughs> actor, and he's talking with a British accent, and and he has a whole bunch of African Americans who are speaking British, and then all of a sudden you have a, a, a like the whitest guy in the world going, Nah, man, when you talk jive, you got to talk like this. And you see them trying to train the African-American guys how to talk, a gangster and stuff. And it was just so, it was such a, a spear into it was, Hollywood. It was so wonderful. It was wonderful. No, it was also so true. I remember that time yeah. I was on, in, I was doing General Hospital. I was an actor on General Hospital. Mm -hmm. And I, I played Juan from the Biscayne Island. And uh, this is I mean, years ago. I'll tell you how long ago it was. I was 
I was that, you know, Latino galan kind of character. You know? Oh, okay. Oh. Monica, por favor, help me, Monica. So I, oh, this is this Ricardo Montalban, like the Ricardo Montalban yeah. style. Was, Got I, it. I, I wrote for the guy. I knew Ricardo Montalban. I mean, I worked with all these people. <laughs> you you know everybody. You know, do you know? Virtually, I do, and I don't want to say the truth because I'm. <laughs> Have you worked with Robert? Did you ever work with Robert? I met Robert. Robert came to in Living Color and I brought him to, uh, I, I toured him around in Living Color and he invited me to his, uh, his movie and I saw it. I, was, I, I, I went to the screening. Of um, Mariachi or? Yeah. Oh, he, had, he didn't know anyone in Hollywood. And I was like, hey, you're Mexican, Latino. Hey, I, I'm doing Living Color. Please come by. I'd love to show you around. And that's how you do it. You'd actually call people up and say, hey, man, I hear you're Latino. I'm Latino too. All right, cool, man. Why don't you come by or, or, it was it was a, a very much a, a feeling of helping one another. I don't think that there's a, is this now, but at the time it was there was Paul Rodriguez mm-hmm. and there was, was you know, Paul, uh, there was there was uh, not many men. Honestly, you know, yeah. George Lopez. I knew George. You know, we all knew each other uh, coming up. So, you know, it's very much a, a small world where you, since you know everybody, you would just call people up. I mean, you just you just did so. Robert and guys like that and George. And so we were very rare. But before us came, you know, Ricardo Montalban. I remember working for him and writing him a speech for some, you know, theatrical event. And uh, and I was like, I felt like a kid. I was at his house, a beautiful house. And he was like, uh, Ricky, Ricky, no, 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 Ricky. <laughs> what about? <laughs> he called me Ricky. I mean, that's how that's. But as a Latino, we understood he was the adult. He was the. The man, so we had. I had a great deal of respect for him. I mean, um, Eddie Olmos is my neighbor, and so I, I, I've, 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 I've met Eddie. Eddie's a oh. wonderful. Eddie's wonderful man. Eddie's wonderful, wonderful guy. He's, yeah. he's, the guy's like he's like family. He's a saint. I mean, I, I love the guy. Yeah, I um, sat. I sat down with him talking. I had a lunch with him once, and I was talking to him about Miami Vice, and he was like, "Oh, let me tell you about Miami Vice," and oh, yeah. he would just go into this whole like the, all the backstories, like. Yeah, the other guy when I replaced him after three episodes, and then Don Johnson came in and I set him straight like day one, and that was the end of that. And like he just started talking like all this stuff, and he was he he's is. so cool and Blade Runner and all that. So, I mean, he's just you know, he's oh, Eddie no, almost. Yeah, he's, he's, Eddie he's, almost. He's, he's a he's a legend, and that's that's the thing is like that's the part of Hollywood I like, where where people that you know like got to work with Cheech Marin. He directed me on Broadway. He's amazing, and and my other show, Latino Thought Makers, where I interview these these celebrities. Mm-hmm. Star. I think for me, the, it fits my purpose in life that I feel Latinos are the solution, never the problem. Mm-hmm. And if you get to know us, you'll realize that. So what Latino Thoughtmakers does, which I do that show, is to introduce people to, to Latinos in a different way, to see us as a solution, not the problem. And what comedy does, comedy opens the door. Like mm-hmm. I, I worked on a, a Culture Clash, which was at Fox. I was one of the writers on that show, Culture Clash in Living Color. Mad TV. I could go off comedy wise. It's pretty. It's a pretty good resume, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of of who I've worked with and all that stuff. But those aren't the moments. The moments you remember are the silliest moments in the world. Just like when, um, at the end of the day, when you're in a studio and everyone's putting away all the equipment, and it's it's, it's going to be sunset, and you feel you've been part of a dream factory, and you've mm-hmm. done something. Those are the moments I remember. I just go, that's such a beautiful, they taught the martini shot. And, oh, yeah. And those, those are moments where you go, yeah. It's worth it. Good. All the pain's worth it. Yeah. And th- and it's, it, it, and I remember that because I saw, I remember as a kid, I saw a movie, it was black and white film. And the guy's 
this, he's an actor and he's, he's, his whole life has been, every time he's about to make it, it, you know, he gets, he gets drafted to the Korean war. So you cut to, there's 50,000 Koreans coming toward him, a Chinese, he's at a machine gun shooting it. All these, I mean, just everything. Finally, he gets the big role of his life and he's about to walk on stage and someone turns to him and goes, is it worth it? And he looks and he goes, yeah, it's worth it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And this is after 50,000 Chinese and all these things, all the stuff he's gone yeah. through and he goes, it's worth it. And I, I think that's what it is, is, is that when you do it and it's, we share a love for something that is hard for other people to understand, it's tangible. It, we love the business of making up stories. And, and but yeah. isn't it insane? But that's the insanity of this, this whole thing. I've I've been saying for a long time that it's a, it's an illness. It's like once you yeah. get once you get bitten by this, it's in your bloodstream and it will never go away. It's it will flare up. Yeah. It, it can be dormant for 20 years. Mm -hmm. But I I'm talking I sometimes I talk to filmmakers who are like, "Hey, I I just turned 60. I'm retired, but what I really want to do is direct." So what do I need to do? And like, and they were a doctor or something like that all their life. And they's like, I really wish I would have gone down that road, but now I'm here and I want to do it. It's, it, it never goes away. Even I've, you know, I've been in this business 25 plus years now yeah. and, and going in and out and I've wanted to leave because it got so difficult sometimes. Um, and I, I literally just like, I can't take the pain anymore. And I would go for a minute and then I would come back. You know, and I'd always have one foot in or one foot. I never truly left it ever. Yeah, you, you never truly retire. I, I always tell people because every time I meet someone who said, you know, they, anyone who makes that announcement, I'm retired. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> you know, they're always back the next year going, okay, well, I got really bored. All right. <laughs> it's like, just never say retired because it's not a, an occupation. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. So if you sit there and you say, my lifestyle is being an artist, my lifestyle is creating, my lifestyle is doing that. And I can do it through stage, page, or mm -hmm. uh, uh, many different forms. And, and this is just like us having this podcast and us talking. We're, mm -hmm. we're sharing a love for a craft or an industry. And you're not necessarily an industry, really for the craft. For the sure. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's really what it is. We're, we're sharing a love for something that we truly do love. Now, what, so what do you say to writers listening right now, and filmmakers for that matter, listening right now, who are struggling to get their voice heard, to get their thing out there, to get their, their work seen, or are they just going, they're, they're basically in, in the Korean War right now, and there's 50,000 yeah. Chinese coming at them, um, or the enemy is coming at them. Yeah. How, how, what, what kind of, what's the words that you can say to them to keep them going? Um, and to keep that dream going. That's, it's, it's actually, it's, you know, I haven't thought about this for a while, so thank you for bringing this up. This is why I like talking about the industry with other people. You, you really kind of, you think about it. Oh, yeah. You work it out. You work it out. Yeah. You work it out. So the workout <laughs> is this. Um, my father was a door-to-door -door salesman, and he would he'd go door-to-door. -door. And I, when Oof. I do stand up, I, I give him an accent. The truth is he didn't have an accent. But, no one believed. but it's funnier but, with an accent. It's funnier with an accent. I hate to say it, but it really was. People... Because if I did it with his regular voice, people were like, so you're, you said your dad's Mexican. I go, yeah. Oh, hold so, on a second. When am I frank? Like, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. 
Okay, now, now I understand. I, I understand now. now. I understand. <laughs> so, but my father, you know, would tell me this story. And he was a member of Toastmasters and yeah. all stuff. And he spoke beautifully. He told me, Rick, I really want you to speak beautifully. If you spoke beautifully, I'd be very proud of you. So that's why I became a Shakespearean actor at the Old Globe when I was 17. Um, I wanted to speak beautiful, so I studied Shakespeare and I memorized it and all that. So one day he told me, you know, I was auditioning for something. I didn't get it. And he goes, oh, yeah. I said, I didn't get it, Dad. And normally I was, as I grew up in San Diego, so I, I was working all the time. I mean, I was like an actor that could work. And uh, because the, the talent pool was less. Not, I mean, there's great people, but there was just more, more. I didn't have to audition against 50 people. The national search and 2,500. It'd be 15 people. <laughs> 15 people. And I knew most of them. And I'd be like, hey, what are you doing? So I auditioned for Second City Improv in Chicago. They're doing a special in San Diego. And they hired two unknown actors. You know, for the first callback, I didn't get it. They weren't sure. And the second callback, I finally got it. And I told my dad, I'm, I'm auditioning for this thing. And I didn't get it. He goes, well, let me tell you a story. It was every day I go out and I knock on a door and I say, I try to sell my things, get pots and pans, he said. And he goes, then I go to another door. But around the hundredth door, finally someone says yes. You have to knock on a lot of doors yeah. to hear no before you finally hear the one yes. And that was it. Knock on a lot of doors. So I went back to the audition. I got, I got the role. And the other unknown actor in San Diego got it was Whoopi Goldberg. So wow. Whoopi Goldberg and I a second city improv special together uh, in San Diego. So that was that's a true story. So that's, that's pre color purple. So we're talking 84, 83. Oh, it was, it was pre her one woman show. Oh, was pre, oh, oh, wow. So yeah, this is early, early. early. Yeah. Yeah, it was early. I was a kid. I was like what, 17 or something, you know, at the old globe. And then I had an audition. I think I just turned 18 and I felt she would sneak me into bars. You know, and I was she's a false ID. She's a bad influence. But um, she was, she was. But she taught me a lot. She taught me that, that improv is saying yes. And you know, what acting is and writing and all this stuff is saying yes to a dream. But you you know, if you remember the the starting out writers hearing that, it's remember you have to hear a lot of no's before you hear yes. And once you get that mantra in your head, you will, you know, and here's a second one. What you think is success may not be what your idea of success is. Oh, yes. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So that's, a, that's a lot of times, you know, because I, 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 I struggle with it. You know, like sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm the biggest loser in the world. Oh, my Lord. You know, sure, I got to play on Broadway, but Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> wow. Well, it's always, there's always a bigger yeah. fish. There's always a bigger Jeez. fish. Got Hamilton. Oh, I did 137 performance with an extension. The first one like that. Well, they were off Broadway and they saw, hey, you could be Broadway. So it got people thinking that direction, but the man just nailed it. And so, so when you start to get that, that comparison, you know, no, and I think sorry. about it and it's like, well, Whoopi Goldberg, why aren't I Whoopi Goldberg? Why did I win the Oscar for Ghost? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, shoot, Jennifer's just a fly girl. What happened to me? You know? But don't forget, look at where, we've be, where, where we are <laughs> after, you, after she hugged yeah. you. <laughs> look yeah, what we so, have accomplished. You have to kind of look at it and go, you know, maybe success to me in, in the end for my success in life has been my three children. Right. That's it. If I looked and said, look, if you go all your success in life that you've done, 
if your three children are, are your measure of success, then I'm a successful man. Now, if my measure of success was an Emmy, you know, I get a nomination, but if I got, you know, once I get that Emmy or if I got an Oscar or yeah. whatever, and do but that. you have to learn that your idea of success is the process. It's, it's the, that's what life is. Life's a process. You wake up, you, you try to find love, you try to keep love. Once you find it, you try to, you know, all these thousand things of what our evolution is. And, you know, and I, I, I saw my a relative of mine who's much older now. And, and, uh, you know, I got to tell you, old age does not look pretty. It just, it looks like, oh man, this looks bad. But I've never heard them complain. I've, I've heard them that understand this is life, that they're happy when they wake up. And, you know, and, and that's the word their attitude is, you know, this is a good day for me. It's, 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 if you stop comparing yourself to others and compare yourself to you mm-hmm. and, find, and, and you find that happiness, then I think you're successful. Because in the end, the moments that truly make you a human being and, and truly make you give back and what is our humanity is the love, our kindness, and, and how we, you know, like, like you said earlier, don't be a jerk because people remember. I, I constantly meet people every day that will walk up to me and they go, hey, you know, I, I worked with you years ago. I always go, was I a jerk? Was that, go, yeah, was, no. that, was that nice to you? Please? Was nice to you? And it, I've never heard anyone say I was bad. I've never heard that. Um, you know, maybe because I'm asking them, I look very imposing and intimidating. I've got a bat in my hand. I'm like, <laughs> let me ask you something. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm simply, I'm, I had a simple rule was um, very much so of, of you judge a person by their character of how well they treat someone that can do absolutely nothing for them. Right. Um, and, and that's it. So if I walk on a set or whatever it is, if I see, a star or someone else treating an intern or a PA or someone badly. That's my judgment of that person. But, it, but I got to tell you, I've had so many actors and stars that I've met that are truly nice people, truly great people. You know, uh, you know, I, I look at certain people and I go, I, they're a good person. And, and luckily when I meet them, they tend to be, I, I haven't been fooled that often where I go, We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And Mother Teresa. Whoa, that was a surprise. Ooh, she was man, rough. Man, that attitude. <laughs> she still owes me 50 bucks. <laughs> so close. I'm a miracle worker. Watch this. What an attitude. Look, that's my leper. Get away from it. That's so, the way I, I look at it. That's, so, yeah, that, that's wonderful. That's, that's so wonderful. If, if we fall in love with the process, and you'll be happy. Enjoy it. That's the thing because you know uh, you're constantly writing, you're constantly doing stuff, you're constantly testing yourself, and and it is a business that it's it's a beautiful art surrounded by a very ugly business. Mm. That's the reality. You know that, that's that's truly it. But then again, you know some of the greatest stuff in our world can be. Bastardize or changed or you know best intentions or whatever you you have to develop in yourself your purpose mm-hmm. and once you find your purpose and once you say this is my happiness this is what I do then you then you're giving it the best you can as long as you're grateful for for little things I mean be grateful for you calling me up and putting me on your podcast and having a nice conversation 
Uh, be grateful for that. That's I'm grateful for it. That's the thing to be grateful for. It, it, be, you know, that be grateful for the little things. And that way, when the big things come, you'll still you'll, you haven't changed. You're still grateful. You're still I'll grateful. I'll tell you when I um when I when I let go of that whole comparison thing and you know, it took me years before I got my first feature done. And I was mm-hmm. capable of doing it 15 years ago. I could have shot, I shot, I could have shot. And that was the dream. It was the dream is the feature, the feature, the feature. Yeah. And, and, but the thing was, I compared myself to Robert Quinton because I came up in the 90s. So I was like, yeah. oh, if my first feature's got to be El Mariachi, it's got to be Reservoir Dog, it's got to be this big thing. And that pressure, the, the art can't handle that kind of pressure. Like it's not built to do that. So when I finally hit 40 and I was attached to another huge project and that project mm-hmm. fell through again, and I was just like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. 40. I got I to gotta do it. And then within 30 days, I was shooting my feature with Jilly. I called her up. I'm like, mm-hmm. Jill, call your friends. We're going to go make a movie. And we shot this kind of like improv, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm style, yeah. style, you know, you know, story about her, loosely based on her life. Yeah. And we just did it. And, but, but I let go, and I also never attached any outcome to it. And that's the other thing with art. Like if you like, I need to win the Oscar. You'll never... You're gonna. Yeah. You're setting yourself up to be miserable. It, it it may not. You know. It may not be for you. You know. I mean. That's the thing. Is it? Is it? You know. If you. If you. As an artist, you believe there is a higher power. Because I think you have to. As an artist, you have to. I mean. I know Ricky Gervais always talks about he's an atheist. Mm-hmm. But I think if you really broke it down, he would hope to believe there's a God. I mean, something. Great something. 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 Yeah. We all do because the truth is we. Um. In the place of things in life, we need to have something we can look and go, there's a reason we're here. Mm-hmm. There's some higher being that goes, there's a reason you're here. And we, we want to believe that because as artists, if you look at even the Bible, you know, you know I, I went to, I've read so many, you know, um, I went to seminary. Very mm-hmm. few people know that. So I, I, it says in the beginning of Genesis, it says, man, uh, God created man in the image of God. You created him, you know, basically. So you're creating the image of God. Sure. That's your creator is God. Yeah, yeah, sure. So if God creates you, your wife, your children, whoever, in the image of this higher power, his act of creation is what art is to create. And if sure. we're in his reflection or her reflection, then we are creators itself. That is our natural thing to be as creators, be creative people. And so creation and be creativity is storytelling. And it may be done through a commercial. It may be done because I've cried over commercials when well done. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you, that, to, that haiku of in only 30 seconds or a minute, you're going to create this world that will, will touch you. Then that's beauty. I mean, think about it. It's like I, I, I looked at it and I, I remember, you know, I did one character was Alejandro. It was a busboy. that was a macho guy all the women. At least he thought he did. It's a great character because I said, I worked as a busboy, you know, I it was my only, I had three jobs in my lifetime that were not related to the entertainment. One was a busboy. Mm-hmm. And it was so traumatic. After three months, I wrote a whole play about it. <laughs> because I was such a bad a, busboy. A true, a true artist, sir. A true, true artist. artist. <laughs> that, was, that was my, my, my tr- drama story. Iwo Jima. That was my Iwo, Iwo Jima. Jima. <laughs> they asked me to bring water, no ice. How am I supposed to remember that? Like it scarred me. me. It scarred me. me. <laughs> but the, the the waiters and the busboys were so confident. And I remember I'd see a, I saw a, a busboy in a ten speed bike 
drive up to a woman and start talking to her. <laughs> like, and I'm thinking, you're on a 10 speed bike with no very little command of the language. And you're going up to a woman and going, hey, how are you? Yeah, my name is Alejandro, you know. How you doing? Mexico. How you doing? <laughs> that kind of attitude. And here I'm like this educated, you know, thespian actor type right. working as a busboy for three months, just scandalized by this. And I'm thinking, that man's a happy man. Yep. He's honestly happy. And his whole life is happy and he loves life and all this stuff. And I go, ask what you want. You want to be the person because every day, every, you know, I, I nearly died a few years ago and I, I came back from, I was in a coma and all oh, wow. stuff. And people are like, oh my God, and I wrote a book about it, Almost White. And uh, it was about Hollywood, but it really was about this accident I had. And uh, so I came back and I remember being in a coma and I almost heard a voice of God going, you want to go back or you want to stay? Like a, a literal voice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I can't remember exactly what the accent sounded like. So I can't go, God was Puerto Rican. It was weird. He sounded like Tony Montana. It's yeah. like, it's weird. Let me tell you something. Uh, do you want to go back or do you want to stay here? Hey, your soul's a little light. You know what I'm saying? A little light. Um, but I, I remember hearing, you know, do you want to go back and stay? And I, I said, I, will, I, will, I still have some things to do. And so I, I came back on my body and I, you know, once you feel the pain in your body, you're like, oh no, <laughs> I'm, I changed my mind. I'm going to heaven. But I worked myself through and I just said a simple mantra. This was about six years ago. I said, I will do no harm and I will be kind and I will be compassionate. It's not, not that I was a bad guy. I, I really was. I just said, I'll be grateful. I'll remember being grateful. And that's the thing. That's what you do. So. So if you sit there and you say, you know, because a lot of times, I, I'm sure, I'm, I think I'm reading you right, and me too, is that we're in this business and we're constantly going, we got to do this. You know, our ambition. Oh, there's always the ambition of, yeah, I want to do more, do. more, more. Or, sure. or I, I want them to recognize me as the genius that I am. Well, I let, I let that go a while ago. I, yeah. <laughs> I let that go a long time ago. Now I'm just, now, I mean, this is with age. With age, you just become a little yeah, bit like, you know, you know, I just, look, I just want to be happy. I want to enjoy the process. Yeah. And that's much more important to me than an Oscar. You know, I, I just, you know <laughs> I'm Harvey Feinstein. I just want to be loved. Is that so bad? You know, so I, I look at it and I go, I, I, I want to make the world a better place whenever I can. Yeah. And if, if not that, then thank God for the world that I've been given. You know, thank God for the, every little miracle. And, you know, I think, uh, it wasn't me who said it. it was Louis C.K. actually said this. And, you know, um, he said, "You're at forty thousand. You're in a plane at thirty thousand feet or whatever. <laughs> it's a miracle." <laughs> <laughs> and you think about that, and I go, "Me and you right now are on a podcast. I'm seeing you. You're seeing me. Mm -hmm. It's a miracle. It is. You know, we, you know, as a kid, I'm watching three channels, three networks. You know, and when you hear that, yeah, <laughs> or." or or better yet, when I grew up in San Diego, we heard the Mexican national anthem because the the the, the discs were over in the side of Mexico. Right. So you'd sit there and go, that was I love Lucy. Then I'm standing tall singing the Mexican national anthem. But I appreciate what you got. That's what I tell anyone that's listening about this business is that you appreciate every single moment. You appreciate 
everything you got, the miracles all around you. And if you think that way, then it doesn't matter whether you so-called made it or not. Yeah. You're making it. You're making it. Yep, absolutely. Rick, I I appreciate you uh coming on the show. It's been it's been an absolute joy talking to you, sir. Where can people find you? Well, you can always check me out on 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 Naharan America. On, mm-hmm. It's on uh, Revolver Podcasts and Apple and other stuff. And then check out Latino Thought Makers. I'm I'm doing a show with Cornell West, Dr. Cornell West from Harvard. Wow, for Kenyatta College, and that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, he's uh, awesome. January 28th, and then uh, I've got a. If you check out my site, um, you know I, I have, a, have a a class on writing that I'm doing with Sanjeev Chopra, Deepak Chopra's brother. Okay. And uh, Jackie Ruiz, who's this great publisher. So I'm, I'm constantly, even with this COVID, you know. Oh, you got to work. Got to keep going. Got to keep going. You, you got you to work. Because if anything, I, I just look at it and I go, I go, Newton came up with his best uh, theories during pandemic. Uh, Shakespeare wrote Lear during a pandemic. And even though we're in this time of pandemic, and I'm like, you, you know, said, you watch the news and you go, can it get any worse? I'm expecting Godzilla walking down any Pennsylvania day Avenue. Any yeah, because anything can happen. The mole people should be taking over any moment yeah. now. You know, maybe I'm, I'm even thinking maybe that lizard people idea is true. I have no idea. I don't I don't know. <sighs> hey, you but, never you never know. But if I can love my life and be grateful and and be kind to another person every day, then that's it. That's that's what we gotta do. And if the greatest production with my kids, then I'm fine with it. Rick, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you so much for uh, for what you're doing uh, and continue continue making people laugh, man, and making people think. So I appreciate you, brother. Oh, thank you. Great talking to you too, man. Good, uh, consider you a friend now. for podcast brother. <laughs> Meantime. I want to thank Rick for coming on the show and dropping his hilarious knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you so much, Rick. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 636. And don't forget this week that on Indie Film Hustle Academy or IFHAcademy.com, we have the biggest sale we have ever had on a Black Friday weekend. It starts at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Black Friday and goes through Cyber Monday at midnight. Guys, trust me, if you've been interested in any of our courses, this is the time to check it out. Just go to ifhacademy.com. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. 